you know, I'm going to talk with you this morning about what happens when we die. Here, we're talking about getting old a moment ago. My thought was different, Gary. My, my thought was sort of don't get old. I've known some people that didn't get old and I miss them. Okay. So there's two ways to take that comment. If you mean don't, I hope you don't get the common ailments of growing older, <clears throat> the aches and pains and disabilities and so forth. Yes, I can agree with that. But if you mean just don't get old, then I don't want, I don't want that to happen to you. I hope all of you get old and are here for a long time. That's the way God intended it to be. So don't be in big rush to go to eternity. There's plenty of time for eternity. Stay here where God has a use for you on this earth and do the right thing in the place where you are. That's, I think, what the Bible kind of teaches about human existence. So I hope all of you get very old. I know you're all wincing, but that's a fact. I'll be 70 in a couple weeks. I'm hoping to live at least another 30 years. See how that goes. I, I just want to live long enough to be a problem to my brothers somehow if I can. We're going to talk to this, this morning about what happens when we die because some questions about this came up recently in a Bible class and it seems like they come up quite regularly. We've talked about this subject before, so this material is not particularly new to many of you, and I apologize in a way for that. But it seems like from the questions that we receive in various times about this subject that there is misunderstanding. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that everybody would agree with what I say this morning or pretend that they will. They ought to, of course, or, uh, you know, but that's just because I say it. But on the other side, I understand that there's some disagreement about this, even from people that I respect. Yet the way that I'm going to present the material this morning about what happens when humans die, I think is what the scriptures do teach about it. I'm not sure how it can be much of any other way than this in my own mind, having been persuaded at least that it somehow be some other way. But there are some things we'll talk about that things can't be this way, they can be this way, and so forth. But let's, uh, let's take a look at this subject, because everybody has concern about this. And... I'm going to try to talk to you about what the Bible says about it. You know, let's just start here in Hebrews 9 in a real basic passage, speaking about Christ coming as God's sacrifice for sin, the culmination of all the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. It says he would then have to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he's contrasting the many sacrifices under the old law year by year, month by month, with the one sacrifice of Christ. Now this word once here is an unusual word in the original language, even in the Greek used it this way. It means once for all. I pay my mortgage once a month, but that's not this word. This word is once, one time. Okay, so Christ appears once to redeem man of sin. He will appear a second time to judge the world, but he appears once to redeem man from sin. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of the many, and so forth. And to those who eagerly await him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, to salvation. So, as Christ appears once, we die once, 
This is the verse to me that seals the understanding of whether there is such a thing as reincarnation or not. The Hindus teach reincarnation. A lot of Christians believe in reincarnation. We'll see in a moment. But that is completely unscriptural and incorrect. Men live once and they die once. And I remember thinking about this when I was a boy there listening to sermons when I was a little boy. How frightening that is and how important that is that you only get one chance to live. In fact, it's so important they named a soap opera after it. You know, one life to live. When things are that important, they name a soap opera after it. It's pretty important. But you have one life to live. And then after this, the judgment, which is forever. None of us really like the idea of forever because we can't take it back and we can't change it. But here is the idea of one. So we get to die once. And the scriptures also say, kind of as an introductory idea in Ecclesiastes, we'll come back to this a little bit later. As far as human beings go, they live a life, and then the dust, meaning our bodies, will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. This is the nature of being a human being. We appear for a short time, James says, like a smoke or a vapor that looks like it's there and then it's gone. We appear for a very short time in the grand scheme of things, and then we're gone. The body returns to dust. And the spirit returns to God out of our care, out of our sight, into the care of God who gave it in the first place. Now, a couple of years ago, um, the uh, Stuart News, when there was such a thing as the Stuart News, well, I see it's been more than a couple of years. Uh, when you're old, 2007 is like yesterday. But uh, they had this big production, big article about what happens after life in 2007. So they, they added a survey, it says, of like 500 people or more than that in this area right here in the Treasure Coast, they call it. So the poll results, do you believe in life after death? Well, 67% of the people said they did. 32% said no. Do you consider yourself to be a religious or spiritual person? 64% said yes. 35% said no. If you had done it 30 years ahead, those numbers would be quite different, but that was still a quite a sizable number. Do you believe in a higher power? 73% said yes. Do you believe in heaven? 61% said yes. They believe in heaven. 38% said no. So here are these religious people, 3% consider themselves religious but don't believe in heaven. Do you believe in life after death? That's odd because 67% said they believe in life after death, but only 61% said they believe in heaven. Do you believe uh, you will go to heaven? 63% again said yes. Do you believe in hell? Only 50% said yes. So now, now we're getting, we believe in heaven. We're, we're the John Lennon generation. You know, the, uh, is that John Lennon? I, uh, I, uh, no, it's Three Dog Night. You know, uh, I, I hope there's a heaven, but, no, oh, no, I, what is it? What's that? Imagine. No, I'm not thinking of imagine. That's what I first thought of, but that's wrong. It's, uh, something about, pray there's a heaven, hope there ain't no hell. Three dog night. Thank you, Doug. I pray there is a heaven and I hope there ain't no heaven. That's where you're getting right there. Uh, uh, do you believe in ghosts and spirits? Well, 63% said yes. Now, that's pretty open-ended. I believe there's such a thing as spirits. 
and I believe there are spirits of the dead. The question is, are they are they asking you, do you believe that they're walking around on the earth haunting people and seeing what you do? Well, that's another question, but they don't think they ask that. Do you believe in, the, in, in reincarnation? 31% said yes, again, 68% said no. So, you know, I don't know who the 31% is, but it's interesting that this is what they say happens after life. So this is where people are today. A lot of interest in this subject. We tend to think, you know, that most people are irreligious. In the strict sense, that isn't true. Most people that you know are religious in a general sense that they believe in that there's a God or a higher power and they believe in things that they can't see. Most people are religious in that sense. Do they believe in the God of the Bible? Now, that's another question. Or do they believe the truth about uh, religious things? The answer is no, they don't. But what does the Bible say? I can tell you that. We can talk about what people think a lot. Most of you, I'm sure all of you, really want to know what the Bible says about what happens when we die. So let's take a look at that. And when we go to the book of... Is it showing anything up there? No, it's not. I didn't. I did something wrong. We go to the book of Job, way back in human history. Job may be the one that's written about the earliest in human history. I know that Genesis covers the, the beginning, but Job was written way back there, I believe. Well before the law of Moses or anything like that. He says, but, but man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last. And where is he? Well, like the people of that day, what Job saw was that people go away. They disappear. They're not there anymore. As water disappears from the sea and a river becomes parched and dries up, so man lies down and does not rise till the heavens are no more. They will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, verse 14 of Chapter 14, will he live again? All the days of my hard service I will wait till my change comes. You will call and I will answer you. You shall desire the word of your hands, the work of your hands. So, if a man dies, will he live again? That's the question. Now, of course, this is not answered in the Old Testament explicitly. Although we do find Martha in John 11 in Jesus' ministry Martha says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And she says, I know that he will rise in the last day. So Martha and both her and Mary have a belief in the resurrection that we don't find explicitly stated in the Old Testament as such. But we do find the answer to this question in John 11, in that story, that Jesus says, yes, if you believe in me, you'll live again. Now, what we have to first consider in looking at this question is the nature of man. This is another subject that's under great dispute, always has been debated. I'm going to tell you in the short form of that today without going through a whole debate about it. I think even many of my own colleagues and brethren in Churches of Christ might disagree with what I'm going to say here about this. I don't know why they should. But I would say that what the Bible says that man is three in one. There's three parts of man in one. Three men, three in one. And I believe that parallels God, three in one. Not three persons in one Godhead, but three in one is what the scriptures would say about that. And so we have man, and man is composed of body, soul, and spirit. And the text that shows this is here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And now may the God of peace, in verse 23, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a scripture that puts it in one verse. I think we can look at other passages and passages and put this together. But the, this, I think, is the truth about man, body, soul, and spirit. The problem is, what do each of these three mean? What are they? And we don't, this is not the point of this sermon this morning to distinguish between body, soul, and spirit. In fact, the Bible says that, that, um, spirit and soul are difficult to separate. And it takes the word of God and a sharp two-edged sword to do that. I'm not sure it ever does that for us. Hebrews 4.12 uh, is the prob- is the verse that talks about the word being sharp to divide soul and spirit. But there is a difference between the two that needs to be understood. Now, there's been, when you look at, oh, we'll look at that in just a second. But I think that's the question. Man, here's the thing. Man is one creature. I'm one. Yet I have three aspects to myself, whatever word you want to use. And they're very tightly bound together. They're very tightly hooked together. And sometimes we can see one more than the other. I think this is a great side point here. I was thinking more about that this week in a conversation with Judy. I think one of the great errors of modern Christian thinking is this division of everything into the flesh and the spirit, the body and the spirit being so separate from each other. In a, they are separate. But I think the word flesh is so misunderstood by modern Christians coming out of the Reformation movement and all and so forth that it really becomes unintelligible in, in interpretation the way it's used. My body, when I when I want to show affection to Judy, I hold her, and I love it when she touches me. We all understand this. These little children, we want to show affection from our heart. We touch them. We hold them. We interact with their bodies. And to try to separate that out, oh, that's just my body. We should forget about all this physical thing because all that's physical. No, the Bible doesn't teach anything like that. The Bible doesn't ask you to separate your body from your heart. Those two things are bound together. And they ought to be. Now, now Satan wants you to separate them. He wants you to make sex and affection just a physical thing if you can. But they don't belong separated. They go together. God intended for my physical nerve endings and all my other physical parts to interact with my soul. They interact with my spirit inside of me. And they're really one. Man gets disintegrated. That's what disintegrate means. To take what is something, in, something that's integrated is whole and put together. To disintegrate is to separate it all out. Do, do like what I used to do to radios in my house. My father, we had these old radios and I would want to mess with them so I'd take them all apart on the table that are in my bedroom. Sometimes I put them back together. Get shocked a few times. And then I'd always have parts left over. I didn't know where to go. My dad looked that one time. He says, he did this kind of thing for a living. He says, you know, I said, we don't. So what are those? He said, I said, well, they're left. Over. I don't know where to, that, that, I don't need those. We don't need those. Shake his head. <laughs> Say, they paid an engineer a lot of money to use the fewest parts he possibly could in this radio. And you think at 11 years old that you don't need them. That's what he told me, more or less, more than once. And somehow you, I said, well, you don't. It works without it. He said it works for a while without it. But just see. Well, anyway, uh, he is correct about that. I had disintegrated the radio. Unless you know how to put it all back together, you're in trouble. You see. So don't disintegrate yourself. Don't, don't separate your body from your spirit. 
There are times when that's necessary, I suppose, and it's going to happen at the end, but it belongs together. Appreciate physical taste of food and and the air and the wind and 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 physical touch and affection. Appreciate those things. They're from God. They belong with your body. They help. They influence your soul. That's why what you see influences you so much, and what you hear influences you because it's taking in the physical world, but it influences inside. You belong together. Enough of a rant. So here's the nature of man: body, soul, and spirit. The body is the physical, material part, the machine, as it were that we have to interact with. the We live in a physical world. In order to interact with this physical world, we've got to have the right receptors to do that. We have to have the right sensors to understand the physical world, and God gave us that, our five senses. The soul is used in various ways in the Bible. Sometimes it means just physical life. It means the whole man. Eight souls were saved through water. What was saved? What was saved on the ark? Just the spirits of those people? Of course not. The whole person was saved on the ark. The word soul there is used for the whole person. And sometimes it's used interchangeably with the word spirit. And you've got a bunch of references there. It's used interchangeably. I think more basically what the word soul means is life. Once again, to separate my spirit from my life is hard to do. There's not much of a separation I can make intellectually or as a human being between my soul, my spirit and my life. Those two things go together, and I'll show you a scripture about that in just a moment. But that's what the word soul means, the animating spirit that makes something alive as opposed to just dead. Go to a funeral home. I see the person I love laying there, but I'm not seeing the whole person. They've been disintegrated. I'm only seeing part of that person, and that's why it bothers us so much. That's why it hurts. That's why it's troublesome to us, because we're not seeing the whole person. And we can tell, yes... It looks like them, but it really isn't them because it's dead. It's not alive anymore. And that's what he's saying. So the, the spirit then generally in the Bible just means the breath. It means the invisible part of man, the immortal or immaterial, that which is not material or physical part of man. And every man has that part of himself. We don't see that very much. We can't interact with it with our physical senses very much. But we know it's there, it is there, and the Bible teaches that it's there. And so you have this then, the three in one. Now, when you look at this, uh, you see the three then, that's the whole man. So now we look at it another way. Here's the body, and some would say the body has soul or life in it. Here's the life in this body, a living body. And within that, held within it, somewhere, as it were, or infused throughout every cell or every whatever it is, is the spirit of man. Don't really know how that works. Nobody really does. They've tried to do this. They've tried to lay dying people on a scale. This has been done for a few hundred years. Put them on a scale and wait for them to die and take measurements of what does the weight change. They put all these kinds of cameras up there to try to catch the spirit as it leaves the body and all that kind of stuff. People have been trying this for a long time. Uh, no success because the spirit cannot be seen. It is immaterial. And what what goes into my eyes is only material light. And that's all that I can see. So I can't see it. And same thing goes in my ears. I can only hear what is material. So if the spirit's going to communicate with me, the spirit's going to have to make some kind of a change in the sound wave so my ear can perceive it. But this is what man is. Now then, what happens when you die? 
Well, here's this three-in-one creature, you. You're not any one of the three. You're all three together that you. And what happens is there at death, there is a separation. And the body goes to the grave, this big yellow circle. That goes into the grave or it go, it's buried. It becomes just dust again eventually. Can happen a lot of different ways, but we're using the word grave in a generic way to mean it goes back to the earth. That's what the scripture says. Didn't he say the dust returns to the dust from which it came? That's one of the first things that, that God told man that, you know, you come from dust, Adam did, and you'll return to the dust. Well, Ecclesiastes repeats that concept. So the body, that big yellow circle, goes, but there's something left. And what happens is, though, at death, the body and the spirit are separated from one another. That's what the word, that's what death is. We want to define what death is. Now, I'm not defining death according to the AMA, the Medical Association, although this probably is a good definition. But according to the Bible, death is separation. When you talk about physical death or spiritual death, what the, what you're talking about in the Bible is a separation of two things that kind of belong together and you separate those two things. Death is a separator. We feel it. That's what we're feeling when we feel grief and the sudden loss of someone who dies. We're feeling that separation, which is unnatural for man, probably not intended at all for us to experience that before man fell into sin. But we do experience that separation in this way. And that's the pain of death because it does separate this. And so the body goes into the grave. And at this time of separation, the spirit goes into Hades. Now the King James has done a great disservice to us in this regard because it translates this word Hades or Hades which is the Greek word for the realm of the dead or the place where the spirits of after death go. Greeks had a concept of this. It translates that word hell which is there's another word in the Bible for hell as we think of hell that is the final place of condemnation and eternal fires we'll see in a moment there's another Greek word for that Gehenna but they took this word Hades and translated it hell Jesus says that you know that I'll be in hell and so forth you have not left your holy one to go to hell this causes great confusion among people who use the King James version but the word is Ade so different word than Gehenna and it simply means the place of the dead. In he, in the Old Testament, the parallel word is Sheol, the pit, the grave or the pit. And it was the place where the Hebrews understood, and the Old Testament confirms this in its usages, that this is the place where dead spirits go when there's death. They go to a specific place called the pit or Sheol. Not seen by humans anymore, not accessible from the earth, or even by mediums as, as such. Not really accessible, but away from us. You know, when, and this probably brings up a point that I would make, I'm probably out of place here, but when, when someone loses a loved one, and I, I apply this from myself, maybe it helps me, so I try to tell other people this. And they're suffering the pain of that separation and the feeling of this, of this almost an eternal separation. That the first time I remember feeling this is when my cat got run over by a truck right in front of me. My cat, I love my cat, Jinx. If you're old enough, you'll know why I named my cat Jinx. But uh, I remember sitting on the step in my garage after the cat was smashed under the road out there by this dump truck. I just couldn't bear the thought that I wouldn't see my cat anymore, and it was gone. 
And I would never, that's the word we hate, never see my cat again. And, and so that's the first time I remember feeling that separation. Maybe I'd held it before, but I don't know. It was very, very painful for me. Now then I felt that pain many times over something and people much more significant than a cat. I know you're all smiling at me, but no, I'm not a crazy cat person. But I remember this pain. And so when people experience this, I try to tell them, according to the Bible, the person that you are missing is still there. They're somewhere. They're, they're there. They're not gone. They're, they're not in your presence. So they're gone from your presence, but they're not gone. They're just not where you can see them. This used to be the real case. See, even today, we're separate. We're, we're, we're isolated from this in the modern times. When I go away for a day or so, I can bring up Judy on the phone or on the computer and we can see each other and we can talk to each other. It's a wonderful thing. What a blessing that we have there that we take for granted that people, until you get to this generation in human history, never had. When my grandmother's young girl left her home with her parents and came to the United States, she never saw any of those people she knew again. She never saw them again. And I know that was really true for my my great-grandparents who left friends and relatives back in the old country never saw them again. Oftentimes, even in America, when, when people would go from leave Massachusetts to go to a better country, I'm sorry, Brian, they would go out west, you know. <laughs> I had to do that. They, they would go out west. They When they separated, they understood that they would never see those people again. They were gone. Were those people still in Boston, the ones they loved, even though they were out west? Well, yeah, the people were still there. They just couldn't communicate with them. There was hardly any way to communicate. Then they built telegraph lines. Things got a little bit better. Now we have FaceTime and all that stuff. Why do humans build things like FaceTime and telegraph? Because we don't want people to be separated from us. We want them to be close and near and communicate. When someone dies that you love... All that's happened is they've been put in this place called Hades. They're still there, just like they were. You just can't communicate with them. And if you have the hope of the gospel, here's what the gospel does. Without the gospel, you don't have any hope of ever seeing them again. And if you do, it will be in a whole different state, and it will not be good. Most likely. But with the gospel, I have a firm conviction from the gospel that I will see them again, and they will know me, and I will know them and we'll be better than we were before. It'll be better than it was before. That's the hope that I have in the gospel. Whereas without the gospel, you don't have that hope. So death is a serious thing. And this Hades then is this place where you go. Now, we can look at a few... I know our time is getting short here, but... Um, I'm on slide 11 of 32, but we're not going to do all these today. I already made up my mind. Judy was panicked. almost choked there. In Ecclesiastes 12, it says the dust will return to the earth as it was. You can do a lot of things, but you can't keep that dust from happening. And the Spirit will return to God who gave it. And, he, and the, from the earthly viewpoint, it's vanity. Can't be changed, can't be fixed. And I think that now my understanding of the word vanity is it shouldn't be this way. This is not the way it should be. But it is. It should have been different than this, but it's not. Two things are separated from each other. And then you have James's reading, and James too, I referred to. 
in talking about faith and works and the gospel and all that, he makes this comment. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So when this separation takes place, you have death. And the body becomes dead. He doesn't say the spirit is dead. He says the body is dead without the spirit. Spirit still lives. The body is dead. And so you have this. So people want to know medically when, uh, how do you, how do you know? Well, let's put it this way. You got somebody who's in a coma. Been in a coma for a long time. Maybe they declare them brain dead. They declare them brain dead medically. And I stand there and I shake my head. Nope. Not dead. Not dead. May look dead, but not dead. Why? Because the body's still alive. And if the spirit leaves it, guess what the body is without the spirit? It's dead. And I'm reasoning backwards from that. So when I see life in the body, I think the spirit's still there. Once again, what's the problem? The problem is not that the spirit isn't there. It's just that we think, well, because I can't communicate with it, it's not there anymore. We think because our relative's in the grave and, and their spirit's gone, since I can't communicate with them, they must be gone. No, they're not gone. They're just not here. And I see a body that's comatose and, and looks, looks lifeless, but the body is alive. The spirit is there. Can I communicate with it? Will I, will I ever be able to communicate again? I don't know, but it's not dead. How do I know that? One simple line in the Bible. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's how I interpret this verse in this context. So be careful, be careful when you deal with that situation. I've had to deal with it before. We have this expression in the Bible too, that I referred to in the class the other night, giving up the ghost. And there's a bunch of references to this. In Psalm 90, he says the days of our years are three score years and ten. That's 70. That's scary. And if by reason of strength they may be four score years, yet is their strength Labor and yet is there strength, labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Well, what flies away? He says in this book earlier that the body goes into the ground. We just read that. What is it that flies away? We do. So he's talking about the fact that our spirit, and now that it's separate, when you have these three things and they get separated, the we becomes, in this case, the spirit. Although he also says, that we are in the tombs. The righteous who are in the tombs or all will hear my voice and come forth, Jesus says. Those who are in the tombs. He's talking about people. Well, I thought it was just bodies. Well, once again, you keep separating the body from the spirit in identity and it's not easy to do, you see. So, when you go and look at bringing back the dead, when you look at when there's miracles happen where uh, Jesus or Paul brings somebody back from the dead, even Samuel, it says, and let the child's soul come into him again. Language. Let the child's soul. Here's the child, but the child isn't the soul in this case. The body's the child. Let his soul come into him again. Well, where did the spirit go into again? Went back into the body again. So here's this other usage of the idea that the hymn is the actual the body there that they, that they can see let the soul come back into him or in uh, in Luke 8 at the resurrection there her spirit came again into her you see so there's this picture of humans being more than the body and more than just the spirit in this case and that's what it's pictured so 
We have then the state of the dead of this. And we're going to try to wrap this up here real quick. We have the, the, the body with this, the life and then the spirit. And the body goes to the grave. The separation of body and spirit here. And then you see that that the dead go into Hades. Uh, the spirit goes into Hades in this case, or torment or paradise. This is confusing to people because Christian teaching, it's about like it is about Christmas. It's so garbled up from the scriptures, it's almost unrecognizable as to what really happened in, in that story. And so it is with death. So much Christian teaching and references have the idea that when you die, you go straight to heaven. And you go to the pearl, when you die, you go to the pearly gates and you have to answer questions to get in, you know, or somehow Peter makes a, a little stop, got Peter at the pearly gates and all this kind of stuff. And somehow people think this is coming out, I'll people think this is coming out of the Bible, that this picture, but that's not what the Bible pictures happens to the dead. That when they die, they go straight to heaven or straight to hell. Not at all. Now, if you're Roman Catholic, you die and you go to purgatory to be purged of your sins by paying, by suffering for the sins that you haven't repented of. And then you, when you get done with that, you get to go to heaven. Once again, not in the Bible. Here's the story that we'll take the time to read, at least most of, in, in Luke. Because Jesus gives us some insight into this. Someone said, oh, Mike, this is a parable. Well, it's interesting. The Bible never calls it a parable. You can call it a parable if you want to. I don't think the Bible ever calls this a parable. A parable is a made-up story to illustrate something. But very no parables except this one, if, if this is a parable, have a person named in them. And he says a certain man in this case. So this I don't believe this is a parable. I believe this is simply Jesus telling about what actually happened to illustrate something to them. And so this is an important story about life and death. Now the other before we get into, the other objection of this story is well it was written during the time of the Old Testament and therefore it doesn't apply today. Well all the New Testament was written during the time of the Old Testament. So that's not a very good criticism of it in my book. What has changed that makes this story not be real? Well it can't be Christ's resurrection because he keeps saying there's another resurrection coming. Now, we'll come back to this in a moment, but he says there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumb which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. Probably good for the sores, actually. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. So here's a reference. Where did, where did the poor man go when he died? He went to Abraham's bosom. Hold on to that. And being in torments in Hades, where was he? He was in Abraham's bosom. Where else does it say he was? Hades, Ades, the realm of the dead. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So here the rich man dies. He goes to Hades. One goes to a place of comfort, which is Abraham's bosom. The other one goes to Hades. He sees Abraham afar off. He's in the same place, but he's not connected to the other person. And so you see these two here are able to interact. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son... Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things 
and Lazarus also evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. The word I want you to focus on there in verse is verse 25 is the first few words. Son, remember. Popular teaching is that when you die, you're just gone. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, I think Mormons teach this idea, you're just gone. You're gone from the earth and it, the dead know nothing. They'll say, yeah, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the dead know nothing because that book is written from the standpoint of the earth. From the standpoint of the earth, the dead don't know what's going on on the earth. Your, your grandma's not watching you play football on Friday night or going to your prom with you or whatever or not coming to your wedding if she's dead. Your grandma's not watching you smiling on down from heaven when you do something. And she don't want to see what else you do on your graduation night either. Okay, just so you know. But we have this mythology that the dead are looking at all these events because they're here with us or they could see us from heaven. The dead know nothing about what's going on on the earth. Do they remember what happened on the earth when they were here? Yes, that's what this verse says. He asked him to remember what happened. So here we have a conscious man named, well, they call him Divy, which just means rich. We don't know his name. This is a specific rich man. He says, you remember what happened on the earth. He did remember. because Guess what? He was the same person he was on the earth. He just now was in another place. You remember this. And you had good things and Lazarus had poor things and you wouldn't even help him with your crumbs. Now he's comforted and you're not. And so then we have, besides all this, he says, besides the fact that you deserve to be there and he deserves to be here, besides all this, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And then he said, I beg you, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. Well, you can't send him across this gulf to me, this gulf in in Hades, this gulf to me, but send him back to the earth. I don't want my brothers to come here. Tell them about this place of torment. I don't want my brothers to come here, basically, because my brothers are the same kind of people I am. Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. There's your warning. You're waiting for some great thing to happen to you to convince you to become a Christian. You have Moses and the prophets. God's warned you about this place. Jesus warned you about it. And you're still waiting for something before you save yourself. Be careful. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes back to them from the dead, they will repent. No, we like to think that. Lots of people seen dead people. They think, do they repent for a short time? Oh, I know Scrooge did, but that's fiction. He said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that one rise from the dead. It's interesting. Another man named Lazarus, strangely enough, Jesus did raise from the dead, and the people who saw that event did not repent. Many of them didn't. Even though they know he had been raised from the dead, they wouldn't repent. And he said, so Abraham told them that it wouldn't work. And so, I don't know what I just did there, did something wrong. The other verse I want you to think about is what did, what Jesus said. So here we have here we have this place called Hades where the where the dead go. We have the wicked man in Hades. We have on the other side of a gulf in Hades apparently, we have a place of comfort, Abraham's bosom. Jesus said to the thief when he was ready to die, "Today you will be with me where? In paradise." That's probably parallel to Abraham's bosom. The scriptures prophesied in the Psalms that God would not leave 
the Messiah's soul in Hades or suffer his holy one to see corruption. The prophet said that Jesus, when he came later, would not, would go to Hades. He would go to this place. So I am able to conclude very clearly that this place of the dead is just this. It is one place called Hades. On one side of a gulf is paradise or the bosom of Abraham where the spirits of the righteous go. There's a gulf fixed in the middle. On the other side, that's a place of torment. And so we'll conclude with these points. The, the dead are conscious and that they are who they were in life for good or for ill. The dead do not communicate with or visit the living. There's a great gulf fixed there and they can't come back. And then our eternal fate is sealed at death. He says, can't be changed. He told Lazarus it can't be changed. There's no purgatory, no second chances. You're just there awaiting the resurrection. Jesus says there's coming a time when all who are in the tombs, the graves, will hear my voice and come forth. Some to a resurrection of life, John 5, 28, and some to a resurrection of condemnation. So all people come out of the tombs, they're all raised, but some re- some resurrect to death. And so the last one is then that Hades is not the final place. It's the place in the middle. And after the resurrection, we get then sent to the final place. So we'll see, we're going, to, we're going to stop and we're going to do another sermon on that of what happens after then this resurrection comes, the judgment day, where the God then takes the people from Hades. One of the scriptures that talks about the end of time says that when Jesus comes, he will bring with him those who, have, who are faithful in Christ, who have died. He will bring them with him. Okay, So where are they? Well, he's going to get them from this place of paradise and bring them with him. And then their bodies are going to be raised from the dead and they'll be reunited. Anyway, thank you for listening today. I know it's kind of boring and uh, probably a little bit seems to be academic. I, I don't know. But it's, maybe that will help you with a few of these questions or give you a place to start to begin to answer a few of these questions that we have. We're going to sing now number 107 as we close. And we're going to encourage you to pay attention to what Moses and the prophets said and what the gospels say about Jesus Christ, who he is, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that in him we can have a resurrection and never die again. That's the hope that Christians have. I want you to have that hope if you're outside of Christ. Make sure that you have that hope. If you're not sure that you've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and done what he says, make sure that you do that because you want to have this hope too. Can we help you today? Come right down to the front right now. Let's stand and sing.